Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Stevie Oder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everyone. Well, if you're not a history lover, or a lover of literature, or a follower of historic journalists, you may never have heard of Ambrose Bierce. He was born in 1842, after all. But trust me, in his day, and even today in the right circles, Ambrose Bierce is a very big deal. He was a short story writer and a poet, a nationally renowned investigative journalist, a satirist, and a much-feared literary critic. Sounds like Ohio's version of Hemingway. He was, with maybe a little Mark Twain thrown in there. His book, The Devil's Dictionary, has landed on lists of the greatest masterpieces of American literature, and some literary groups have called him one of the most influential journalists in history. If his life was remarkable, and it was, his death was dramatic. Well, we think it was dramatic because we don't know for sure when he died or where he died or how he died. We just know that at the age of 71, Ambrose Bierce left his home for a grand adventure, never to return. Now, the reason why I said no way, because I read up a little bit about him, and what you're about to tell me, 71 years old, doing what he did, that's pretty impressive. Doing what he did. I'm going to hold off in case our listeners don't know what that is. I'm plugging in at the right moment. (laughs) So first, let me tell you a little bit about his beginnings, because that's the Ohio part of the story. Ambrose Bierce was born in a log cabin in Miggs County, Ohio, a place known as Horse Cave Creek. His parents were Marcus Bierce and Laura Sherwood, a couple that bore 13 children and gave them all names that began with an A. They started out with Abigail, Amelia, Anne, Addison, Augustus. Ambrose was their 10th. His ancestors were said to have come to America in the early 1600s as part of the great Puritan migration. We know that because he often wrote unflatteringly of the Puritans and of people who made a fuss about their genealogy. 
He wouldn't have liked me. I'm a big <laughs> genealogy researcher. His parents, they were very poor, but he learned from them a love of books and writing. Now, his family moved to Indiana for part of his childhood. Then he returned to Ohio at the age of 15 to work for a printer at a small abolitionist newspaper. When the Civil War broke out, Bierce enlisted in the Union Army. He even got some media attention for a daring rescue he made under fire of a gravely wounded soldier at the Battle of Rich Mountain. Bierce would eventually write many stories about his war experience, including a terrifying time at the Battle of Shiloh. In 1864, Bierce sustained a traumatic brain injury in battle and spent the summer recuperating but returned to his unit and served until a couple of months before the war came to an end. Bierce traveled extensively. He even resumed his military career to join an expedition that inspected military outposts across the Great Plains, traveling by horseback and wagon all the way to San Francisco. Once there, he was awarded the rank of Brevet Major, before resigning from the army. It's like Dances of Wolf stuff. Yeah. I can't even imagine what travel must have been like back then. I mean, you had to be a very adventurous spirit to want to go across the country that way. Well, once he got in San Francisco, apparently he wanted to stay there. Maybe he had had enough for a while. He, he was going to put down some roots. He lived there for many years, writing and editing for a number of newspapers. He briefly moved to England for a time in the 1870s, but he soon returned to San Francisco, eventually becoming a star in the stable of famed publisher William Hearst at the San Francisco Examiner. He was quite the investigative journalist. In the 1890s, Hearst sent Bierce to Washington, D.C. to put a spotlight on something that others were trying to keep secret in Congress. Some railroad companies had convinced Congress to draft a bill that secretly excused them from repaying a loan that they had taken out to build the first transcontinental railroad. If successful, the bill would have forgiven them an amount that's equal to $4 billion today. Oh, there was crony capitalism back then, too. Yeah, very much, <laughs> very much so. So Beers, he went to Washington, D.C., he confronted the lobbyists and the congressmen, and after writing about the shenanigans, worked up enough public outrage that the bill was defeated. Those railroad men were going to have to pay back that loan. While Beers was better known as a journalist during his lifetime, posthumously, he has been equally revered for his fiction. He wrote war stories, as I said. He wrote 25 of them collectively that have been called the greatest anti-war document in American literature. He was a pioneer of the psychological horror story. Some have equated him to Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft, two of my favorites, by the way. And some might say a lot like movie maker M. Night Shyamalan. He loved trick endings that no one saw coming. He also published several volumes of poetry. But his most famous work was actually satire, an often quoted book called The Devil's Dictionary. Contemporaries described it as howlingly funny. I've read some of it, and it's, it, it holds up. In 1871, Bierce married a woman named Mary Ellen Day. 
They married on Christmas Day and went on to have three children, two boys and a girl. But it wasn't a happy family. Beerus and Mary Ellen separated after 17 years. After his sons were grown, one died of alcoholism, the other by suicide. Beerus lived a colorful life, and it came to an equally colorful conclusion. All right, now to get to the story of his end in the fall of 1913. Beerus was 71 years old when he announced he was off to watch the Mexican Revolution from a front row seat. He wanted to experience it firsthand. In December of that year, he saddled up a horse and crossed into Mexico by way of El Paso, joining Pancho Villa's army as an observer. He didn't even speak Spanish. He is known to have traveled with Villa's army as far as Chihuahua, Mexico. In the last known communication from him, he wrote a letter to a close friend named Blance Partington. It was dated December 26, 1913. He ended the letter saying, as to me, I leave here tomorrow for an unknown destination. Boy, was that prophetic because he vanished without a trace. There was much interest in what happened to him, including an official investigation by U.S. consular officials. Pancho Villa's men were questioned, but their accounts contradicted each other. Critics suggested that he hadn't disappeared at all, that he committed suicide, or was such a nutty old man he had been removed to an asylum somewhere. But there were other stories. Some say he took up a rifle and fought with Pancho Villa's army during a skirmish at Tierra Blanca, where he killed the Federale and was awarded a sombrero. An American mercenary and a customs agent testified that they heard an old gringo was killed shortly after that event during a battle at Ojanaga and that his body was burned with hundreds of others. Another story said he survived the battle at Ojanaga, but was found incoherent and moaning by a federale who was running for his life across the Rio Grande. He floated the old man through the water, hearing him mutter a name that sounded like Ambrosia Price. And once on the U.S. side, the old man, now almost comatose, died and was buried without a marker in an old cemetery. And then there was the tale told by the people of a mountain town, Sierra Mojada. A priest named James Leinert wrote that locals passed down stories of how Beers was executed by firing squad in the town cemetery for suspicion of being a spy. There is even a marker for him in the sleepy mining town though his body doesn't lie beneath it. Of all the stories, this is probably everyone's favorite. Numerous books, movies, television shows, and documentaries have told the story of Beerus's life and have made attempts to explain his death. But more than a century later, his fate remains unknown. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. And may all of your mysteries have happy endings.
I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home.